So today's topic, we, we've uh, touched on this in the past, but in the sense of rescue, and I think we even discussed it a little bit in the last class, to contrast, um, but meaning the obligation to rescue someone. It means if someone is, uh, needs to be rescued, so as Jews, we have a biblical obligation to help save their life. Whether you know how to do it, obviously if you, only if you know how to do it. If you don't, um, then you obviously don't have an obligation. Assuming you have the ability to save someone's life, you have to save them. So we'll get back to that in a second, so, and I'll tell you why we're discussing it, but today we're going to focus more on the monetary part of it, um, and I'll explain what that means, as opposed to the actual saving which we've dealt with in the past. There's a new organization started in Houston, a new um, called Hatsala. I don't know if you're aware of it. Um, it's, it's basically primarily right now it's in Foundry, but it's a volunteer EMT. They've, they've done. It's been there. Okay. Yeah, they have it so, in Israel too. Yeah, they have it in Israel. They have it in New York. There's, there's around 22 branches in in all over the United States now. They just recently started in Houston. Right now, I think they have uh, something like 25, 20 volunteers in that area who are trained as EMTs. They have equipment in their car and. Um, Basically, there's a 24-hour dispatcher who's on duty, different people, again, all, totally all volunteer, and they respond, uh, you call us a number, and uh, the, the dispatcher puts it out on the radio, they all carry radios, um, two-way radios, and once it goes out, they basically, if you remember, I don't want to date myself, but like the old Kojak cities, they have like these cherries they throw on top of the car, some of them have the, the more matching guys have lights and sirens instilled now in the grill and everything. And they drive on sidewalks, they go through red lights, so it's, it's a very good thing um, for, especially if you're orthodox, there's very little ways to express your machismo as an orthodox male. You can't, uh, you know, you're limited in how you express yourself. So this gives people, orthodox uh, people, the, the idea to, uh, the, the way, a way to basically, you know, be macho, drive around with lights and sirens, they, you know, and it's, a, it's an exciting thing. So, um, you know, you're in shul, the rabbi's in the middle of the sermon, you can throw off your talus, run out, right in the middle of davening. So, of course, they can violate Shabbat. You do whatever has to be done. As we know, saving a life, you can violate any Torah law, almost any Torah law, except three, which is the three, the big three. Idol worshiping, murder, and adultery. Yeah. Start with the adultery. Adultery is first, um, and idol worship, then, then murder. What uh, does mean? How can we for you, the order is adultery. Yeah. So if you're going to save a life, you're allowed to commit adultery? No, we're saying not. <laughs> not. Except not. those are the three exceptions. So the three exceptions to the rule of saving a life is you can violate any and one of the 610 commandments except, please make sure it's so clear, except, except adultery, um, uh, idolatry, and, and murder. Okay, which means again, the three cases oh, would be... Oh, you're not allowed to commit adultery. Oh, right. I see so meaning if someone puts a gun to you and says, sleep with this married woman or else I'll shoot you, you have to let yourself be killed before sleeping with the married woman. Okay? Um, in any case, Esther was a prime example. How she, she, uh, how she was allowed to sleep with Achashverosh. That was the case. She was married to Mordechai, going to Mordechai. There's a lot of cases. There's exceptions to the adultery Wait, rule. she was also. married to Mordechai? Going to the one yeah. marriage, yeah. Going to the one well, Denise, she stole, stole his marriage. Of course. There was a beauty contest. It's irrelevant if he was married. She was married. So there's many cases. We're not getting into that now. It's not today's topic, unfortunately. 
Um, but so that's one example. The other example would be murder. I mean, someone puts a gun to your head, says, "Kill this innocent person, or else I'll kill you." You cannot kill the person. You have to let yourself be killed before killing another innocent person. Number three. Kill this innocent person, and kill your kids. Your wife and children are sort of this That's like you. But your mother in law you can you can kill her before. <laughs> <laughs> mother in law's not I, I have noticed one constant theme in all of these classes and it does tie Um <laughs> so now so and the third thing is idolatry. I mean someone says bow to baby Jesus, or else I'm gonna kill you, you can't bow to baby Jesus or any other form of idolatry, whatever it may be. Okay? What is a mass thing? What if it's like, hey, I'm gonna kill this thousand people or oh, so numbers don't uh, don't make a difference in, in Allah. And how, and how is innocence saying? What if he says this okay, guy okay, is okay, a, okay. a thief? Kill him and you can be stopped. Oh, so, no, so now if the person is committed a capital crime, three capital, and they're specifying we're going to kill this person, not anyone. Meaning if they say, say there's a group of uh, Jews and they say give us one Jew or else we'll kill only. You can't even give them one Jew even though more people are going to die. <coughs> if they say we want this specific guy, they specify and they say and that person happens to be violating a capital crime, then you can give him over. He saves the rest. How, how give us Jonah the murderer. Right, give and you can. But, but decision making, if you have a self-driven car, did that. Okay. Did that yeah, but what do you do? Do you take the person out on the sidewalk or do you hit the oncoming so, bus? So that's the question for the people who are creating self-driving cars. As I told you, there's so a the group in Israel say, that's working on this. Torah would say you take the bus. Torah's you your own life. You can't take the other people's life on the sidewalk. No, Torah says the fact that one person, let's say you have a 90-year-old guy or a school bus, you still can't, meaning if, you're, if the car is going for the 90-year-old guy, you can't then change it, you know, you can't program it to hit the school bus. Uh, sorry, to hit the 90-year-old guy as opposed to the school bus. But That's it depends on how you program it. We're getting on the same. You can't make the choices, is what you're saying. Meaning numbers, as we say, well, they would, so that's how we did that class right now. People remember. We'll do it again. So, so now again. So the question when I so I want to discuss. So this, that's why these a lot of these questions came up because of this new organization. So there's a lot of questions that have come up um, as it relates to Shabbos and driving back from calls. There's a lot of various issues that are relevant. Not going to get into that. Um, can you know what happens if you take some of the hospital on Shabbos because you're allowed to. You're allowed to. Can you drive back? To eat your challenge. You want to have uh, spend the rest of the time with your family. And a lot of drive back from the hospital. So there's a lot of interesting questions that come up. How do you want to do that? I mean, driving back is not saving a life. Just a, a you know maybe shalom bite. But we do permit it um, for a fascinating reason, as we discussed. Because it's save your life. It's because in the future we want to make sure the guy goes on the call. If he knows every time he goes to the hospital, he's going to end up being stuck there for the rest of Shabbos and he's not going to eat junk, he's having some hospital food. So we, so the next time his radio goes off, he's not going to run as quickly. Okay, the, the, the main purpose of this um, organization, the response time, is literally two minutes, because usually they're in the neighborhood, they have the equipment, they have defibrillators, they have the person, they have everything in their car. So if you call EMS, usually it's at least, in Houston, it's uh, usually around 11 minute average response time. So they're, they're which isn't bad, actually. New York is 26 minutes, so Houston's doing good. So here, they're there in literally two minutes. They're right there, they're in the neighborhood. They come, the lights and sirens, and, and they're there. Again, they don't have an ambulance at this point. They're not transporting, usually. But the whole idea is to get to be 40 Right, minutes. right, meaning they start treating, meaning it's the fibular, especially when it comes to cardiac arrest, you need immediate attention every minute count, some, uh, or drowning, or things like that. So the bottom line is, it's a great organization. You are they confined it. to a, uh, right now uh, the, uh, is it confined to a, a 
subdivision or yeah, region? presently they're just in Fondren, but the, so if the goal is to expand. I can't call. You can call them, but uh, if they happen to be around, you never know. Maybe they'll come. But for you, they're probably not. Probably won't. I think if they use an ambulance, we'll probably get there as soon as. Right. I mean, if, if they're, they're not around. I've told Wolby I want to be on the list. To okay. Okay. So now. So the question becomes, so what, what, so first of all, it's a fascinating thing, as we discussed in the past, there's a major difference between Western or American law, at least, and, um, and halacha in this, in this situation is that in Western laws, we, there's no obligation to rescue. I mean, even if I, can, I know the Heimlich, and I know, uh, I know mouth to mouth, right, if you're driving down Brazewood, you see a car accident, you don't have to stop. You can wave to the guy, smile, you're late for your meeting, you did nothing wrong, you did nothing illegal, you're, you're fine. You're, you might be an idiot, but you're not, you don't even have to call 911. Legally, if you did nothing, you violated no law. In uh, Texas, for sure, in almost all states, as far as I know. There's no obligation to help rescue. Um, as we're saying here, halachically speaking, according to Jewish law, if you don't stop and render aid, and you knew how to render aid, then you're, literally, you're in violation of at least one negative commandment of the Torah, which states, number one on the sheet, you, you shall not stand idly by while your brother's blood is being shed. So if I have the ability, if I know how to swim and someone's drowning, if you're in a restaurant, you know the Heimlich, and they, they say, is there, is there someone in the house who knows the Heimlich, and you continue eating your meal, so you're in violation of a Torah law, it's a biblical violation. Um, now, there's is another... Only for Jewish rescuers or Jewish re rescuees? So it's a very non-politically correct question. We're not going to address that because we're on tape. But the, technically speaking, the obligation is only to rescue Jews. It doesn't mean you shouldn't rescue non-Jews. By the way, we allow you to violate Shabbat to rescue non-Jews. But the technical obligation is specifically, it says, Reacha, you shall not stand while your brother's blood is being shed. So the understanding of Talmud, Talmud interprets brother as meaning a fellow Jew. So again, it doesn't mean you shouldn't rescue someone else. It means you ha obligatory is only fellow Jew. But obviously, we live in a society where if you just, uh, let's say, I tell a call the number and they say, are oh, you Jewish? And they, oh, sorry, you're hang up. So that's, they'll lose their license. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, not a good thing. So obviously we require you. should rescue her too. Yeah, brother doesn't mean, uh, means brother in, uh, in this one. Yes. So here's an interesting duty to rescue. And duty to rescue is a concept in tort law that arises in a number of cases. Only for professionals. What? Only for professionals. The duty to rescue is only for, let's say, if you're a physician and you have a contractual obligation, or you're an EMT. But if, if they are, don't step foot in your office, you have no contractual so you have no obligation. Two to examples of duty yeah. where you do the duty to rescue arises when a person creates a hazardous situation, but another person okay. then falls into peril because of the hazardous situation. The creator of the hazard, who may not, who may not necessarily have been negligent, has a duty to help okay. that person. Or then there's another one. one. Such a duty may arise with special relationships exist. Parent have a duty to rescue a minor child. This duty also applies to those acting in like a baby school or babysitter. Employers have an obligation to rescue employees under an implied contract theory. Oh, only if there's a kind. What do you mean? Only in some U.S. jurisdictions, real property owners have a duty to rescue invitees, but not trespassers from reasonably foreseeable. Mm -hmm. right, so there's no. But if I'm just driving down Brazewood and someone a car goes into the bayou, I have no duty. That's Spouses have a duty to rescue each other in U.S. Uh, in U.S. jurisdictions. 
Okay, but, but that's it. Again, the United restraint. States, as of 2009, 10 states have laws on the books requiring that people at least notify law enforcement or seek right. aid for strangers in peril. That's, okay. uh, that could be true. There's many stories, by the way, that came Not about. Texas. I mean, let me explain. That came about. There's a famous case, 1964, Genevieve's, her last name was Genevieve. She was on the street of Manhattan being murdered and uh, screaming at the top of her lungs, and nobody, people, neighbors opened the shades, everyone looked down, nobody called 911. She was killed. It's in 1964. That's called the famous Genevieve's case. It's also a case in 2010 of a woman being raped literally during the day, broad daylight, on a street corner, and no one stopped to help her. People said they thought, oh, they thought it was consensual. No one stopped. She's screaming. And because of those cases, now states are realizing that. Because in Europe, there are, like France, for example, has an obligation to risk, even as a layperson. So there are countries in Europe that do have an obligation to risk. But specifically, America is the one that does not have any duty, as saying, except if there's certain specific relationships. Okay. Uh, I just want to say not to give you the Good Samaritan law. We'll get that. We'll get that. We'll get that. Don't give away my punch. Okay, so now, the, so there is Good Samaritan laws. We'll discuss that in a second. That's if you decide to rescue. That's not necessarily, that's not an obligation. If you decide to rescue, then we'll talk about the Good Samaritan. But basically, the question becomes now, um, how does it work? First of all, the Gemara, the Talmud asks this question. What happens if, if, if I... I can't rescue someone, but I have the money. I can have the means to hire someone that, that, uh, that will rescue this person. The guy standing next to me says, listen, I know the handle for If you pay me $50, I'm going to miss my meeting, and then I'll do it. So my app, does the tour also obligate me to lay out money for rescue? So it's not only, or let's say I have to buy uh, equipment. You know, the guy needs, I have to run to CVS, to buy bandages, whatever the case, tourniquet. Do I have to do that? Or is it only, and if I can rescue someone with my body, then I have to do it. So that's the question. So the Talmud says, it brings a second verse, which is number two here on the sheet, which says, you shall restore it to her. Which that verse says, explicitly, it's referring to returning a lost object. It says the Talmud, that also obligates you, just like you're obligated to return if someone lost a wallet. Okay, the Torah says, we don't believe in finders, keepers, losers, weepers. You have to return it. You have to find the rightful owner. So, so too, you have to return someone's health. So the Talmud then asks, what do I need both verses for? So it says, it's coming to tell you, even in the case where you have to spend money for the rescue, you're still obligated to do that. Okay, so you have to lay out money to help save someone's life if you, if you have the ability. Yeah. To, what, to what capacity? To what extent? So it's a good question. So some say you only have to spend up to a fifth of your net worth, just like any other mitzvah. Any positive commandment, usually you have to spend up to a fifth of your net worth, not more. So the same thing. How many positive commandments are there? Like 200 or something? I'm so saying that means, let's say, no, I'm saying no. Each commandment. And you have to spend up to current, uh, your current, up to a fifth of your current network. So let's say you fill in. Let's say I have to buy fill in. I don't have fill in, and um, I can't afford fill in. Okay, so I would have to spend up to once the fill in cost would be more than a fifth of my net worth. I'm exempt from wearing fill in. Okay, that, that's a classical example. So any pad that's a positive commandment. Now here, for negative commandment, for example, adultery or murder, you have to spend everything you got to violate the law. I mean, you can't say, listen, if I don't kill this guy, it's going to cost me more than 50 million worth, so I'm allowed to kill him. It doesn't work like so you, Meaning you, you have to spend everything you own not to violate a negative commandment. Okay, well, now the quite, I think the more tough one with that is, do I kill this one person to save these three people? Uh, I mean, I think life, life is, is not me measurable. 
life or money is kind of like, you know, it's yeah. not measurable, but, you know. It's not measurable. That's the point. So you have to spend everything. But not only life, any negative commandment. Violating Shabbat is also. In order not to violate Shabbat, a person can't say, well, I have to keep my business open on Saturdays because otherwise I'm going to lose millions of dollars. It's irrelevant. I mean, there's ways to do it, maybe, but you have to get a non-Jewish partner. What if it's one-fifth of my net worth? Oh, that's what I'm saying. Over. Since Shabbos is a negative commandment, so you have to spend everything you own not to violate. If you lose your job, tough, tough cook. Part of uh, being Jewish. Not easy being Jewish. Okay. So now, so, so again, so the Talmud learns from this case that even if you have to, if you look at number three, it says, I don't even know if one sees a neighbor drowning and being attacked while an animal is being robbed, a one must save the neighbor from the verse, you shall not stand out of the back while your blood is, b- brother's blood is being shed. And even if one needs to hire someone, you still need to, um, you still need to lay out the money, says the Talmud. Now the question becomes, what happens if, um, if I, I laid out money to save someone, can I get reimbursed? Does the victim, or the patient, or whatever you want to call them, do they have to reimburse me for what I, for my expenditure? Probably, unless it's an undue same thing, like probably one fifth or. No, so it doesn't do it that they have to. So the rush says. So the rush is a commentary on the Talmud. There says yes. Not to the point of making them. No, if they if you save their life and you spent money, whatever the case is. Let's say they were they needed surgery, they had an illness, they needed surgery, and you laid out the money for the surgery. You, the person, you can get, you get reimbursed from the person. Right. He has to reimburse you if he has the money, says the rush. If he has the means, so then you can sue for reimbursement. I'm going to get okay. the case, meaning you laid out money, cost $500 to, for the tourniquet and whatever the case is. He doesn't have health insurance. Okay, so now you have, to, you have to lay out the money, but if he has the means to pay it back, he's obligated to pay it back. That's what the rush says. And that's Wait, do you have the obligation to lay out the five yes, hundred dollars to pay for your own? No, but this guy's but lying there and he can't, you know, he can give you take his credit card out of his wallet. And whatever the case is, he didn't lay it out. So but if he has it, he's not trying to help himself. Like, you know, that's, not that's a different question. We'll talk about. It. Let's say the guy was negligent. We'll, we'll get to those cases. Where the guy, uh, but generally speaking. Um, <coughs> If he has the means to reimburse you, you can sue him for reimbursement. Okay. Now we'll get we'll get back. So we'll get back to this in a second. I just want to address. Go back to your. Before I forget your case with uh, so the case with the uh, Good Samaritan law. So by the way, so the Texas state law. If you look at number seven here, this is House Bill Four in the state of Texas states that a person when good faith provides emergency care is not liable for civil damages unless the act is willfully and wantfully negligent. So the case here like this. Let's say I'm doing a rescue, I'm saving someone's life, but I have to uh, break down the door to, to get to them, or I have to break the car window, or even, you know, whatever the case is, they damage when I'm going on the call, that's all, I knock off someone's mirror, I knock off the guy's mirror, whatever the case is. Or, you know, so I, I damage the person monetarily. So, or I end up killing the guy in my rescue. It happened too. Okay, because I didn't know the Heimlich <coughs> Says the House Bill 4, Texas law is, that a person in good faith provides emergency care is not liable for civil damages unless the act is willfully or wantfully negligent. So because they want people to, even though it's not obligatory, I don't have to stop and save someone, even if they're drowning, you know, I know or if they're choking. But if I do render care, I do render aid, so then I'm, I'm not liable for the damages that occur. But if you like, kick the door and like, dude, it was unlocked. 
Oh, so, so that's the thing. So that's if you look at the language of the law, it says willfully or wantfully negligent. If it's willfully or wantfully negligent, so you should have checked the door first, right. then you're all going to be lying. But if the door is stuck, you can tell. Right, so now, yeah. so what's interesting is, and this is where it becomes problematic, so the way it works is, let's say you did kick in the door, and this guy says, listen, you could have used, it was like, you know, you could have, could have called me, I would have opened it for you. So the jury now, get, he could sue you for damages, and the jury gets to decide, was it willful or wanting, negligent, whatever the law, willfully or wantingly negligent or not. So if you look at number six, this is from a law professor. So they have to prove intent though, then? Well, I, I, we need the lawyers here to define what willfully or wantingly negligent is. Do you, uh, you know how to define that? Any of the attorneys, what, what kind of law do you practice? Somewhere between So meaning the question becomes like this. So if you look at number six, this is from a law professor in University of Virginia Law School. He says, our law says that you do not have to volunteer to leave others from danger, not due to your own fault. So I'm driving, like we said, the guy, or I'm in the restaurant, the guy's choking. Just continue, wave to the guy's smile and continue to work. But if you do volunteer, if you engage in some activity that is followed by hard, it's a, it's a misspell, I don't know what I'm supposed to say by that. By what? Something to such another, by harm. It's supposed to be an M. Okay, that's a typo. Such another, then a court may let a jury scrutinize what you did and call it actionable negligence, no matter how hard you try. So even though I, I was trying to save the guy's life, but I damaged the guy. I did something wrong, like I said, I kicked in the door, or I did, I did the compressions in the wrong part of his body, and I, I broke his ribs. Okay, says many people aware of this think it's much wise to do nothing at all. If you're not under a duty to fees, Right, to execute an action, condition, or obligation, the non-feasance can never be held actionable. So if I don't stop, I wave to the guy, I'm fine, I did nothing wrong, nothing illegal. If I do stop, I render care, and I screw up, so the guy, now the jury's going to get to decide if I'm, if I'm liable for damages, or is it wanton negligence. So he says the non-feasance can never be held actionable. If you engage in feasance toward anybody, under most circumstances, you must feast carefully. Moral, don't ever feast unless you have to. So basically, even with the Good Samaritan laws, you're still screwed, is what we're saying. The American yeah. law is saying, unless you did render the aid properly, you could, a jury is now going to get to decide whether you're liable or not. So most people say, listen, why should I stop? Yeah, exactly. Because, uh, you know, I'll call 911 and just move on, or not say, make believe I didn't see it. You know, sometimes you see it out of the corner of your eye and you make believe you didn't see it. Okay, so, you know, you hear the accent behind you, you just press on the gas. <coughs> as far away as possible. So that's a problem. So there's a very clear distinction between halacha, the Torah requires you to do, which is stop and rescue, and what the Texas law, most states around, most states have a good Samaritan law, yeah. There's a requirement different for a Jew and non-Jew to perform the safety, to save a Jew or non-Jew. Again, for the rescue or rescue? The rescue. I mean, if I see a non-Jewish guy versus a Jewish guy. Yes, again, technically speaking, the, this, the biblical obligation is only for a fellow Jew, but of course, all the Allah says, you gotta do, you can't say, okay, you're not Jewish, sorry, check his circumcision, and then, sorry, you can't, it doesn't work like that, obviously. In, in, in a Jewish society, in a wartime, <coughs> obviously, I don't think you have too many Jew on Jew war situations. Well, war is different anyway. War, you always, I mean, could be a soldier of different laws, and, and Torah wise also. War is always different. They suspend a lot of the laws in a, in a war. Yeah, war is always different. But we're talking about right, in regular civil situation. Okay, now, interestingly, in Allah, as we're going to see, they also realize people, there's a, there's, there's a few questions here. One is, what happens in a third, let's say I don't damage the victim, what happens if I damage a third party? So on the way to the call, you know, there's a car blocking, I, you know, there's a little space, I drive by quickly and I knock off the mirrors of, a, of someone who's not involved. Do I, who has to pay for those damages? Okay, do I have to pay? 
can, does the victim have to pay? Because I'm going to rescue him. So, so. Well, the victim didn't ask to be rescued. Right? Oh, so we'll get to that part. We'll discuss that in a second. So, meaning who has to pay, is, has to pay in that case. So, the Talmud was aware of this, and they said, normally speaking, the Kalachic principle is, Adam would lo'olam. That means a person is always liable for his actions. We don't care. You can't have any excuses. Not like American courts where, you know, okay, I grew up in this neighborhood. You know, my grandmother abused me when I was a kid. Fourth grade teacher failed me too many times. So I'm very, uh, you know, whatever the case is. We don't, that doesn't work in a Jewish court of law. You did an action, you damaged someone, you're liable. Right, no, 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 no excuses working. Except, but Thomas says, if you look at number eight. Whether awake or asleep. Right, so it says, man is always in the category of one who has been forewarned, hence is liable for damage, whether acting inadvertently or willfully under coercion, voluntarily, we don't care if someone put a country, you're always liable for your actions. I mean, you're sleepwalking, so you should have done something to prevent sleepwalking. The fact that you didn't, it's, that's then you're liable, okay? Now, but, if you look at number nine, and he says, if one is chasing after the pursuer, so let's say someone's chasing someone with a gun, and you're, you want to save the person's life, that's the classical case of Rode, for pursuer, so you have a right just like in Texas, you have a right to shoot the pursuer, okay? Um, and he breaks objects belonging to the pursuer or anyone else. So I'm running to save someone, and in my rescue, I damage third party's property. Okay, so says in Maimonides, he says he's exempt. Why? He says this rule is not a matter of strict biblical law. So basically, under biblical law, you're really liable, because under Muad Lolam, you're always liable for your actions. But it's an enactment made by the rabbis in order that one should not refrain from rescuing another or lose time through being too careful in chasing a pursuer. So meaning the concern is, if we say the guy's going to be liable for the damages when he's in a rescue, even to a third party, so he's not going to, when, he, when his radio goes off, to go on the call, and he, he knows he, if he goes too quickly, he might go to the red line. Someone, he's going to hit someone, whatever the case is, he's not going to be running so quick. The response time will be shorter. And he's going to be nervous about going for the rescue. Therefore, the Talmud says, Chazal, our rabbis realize that, meaning not like in American law, they foresaw that people are not going to rescue as quickly if you obligate them in damages, and therefore they said any rescue is totally exempt from damages, even to a third party. Okay, so that means if they're going on a call and they knock off someone's mirror, or the famous, uh, you know, like any classical movie scene where, you know, they need a car, they rip the guy out of, you know, the cops need the car, they pull the guy out of the driver, and they, they take the car and they go, you know, chase the, the suspect. So that is fine, even if they smash up the car on the way, totally fine. But they're not liable for damage. Okay, so this that's so a very again another distinction. Is your insurance company liable for damage? I don't know, yeah, it depends on your insurance. Well, right? He's saying Talmudic wise you're yeah. well, yeah. I don't know. Well, by the way, it's, it's interesting. So the good, I, I spoke to Atzala because they asked me, in the Good Samaritan law of Texas, the question is, does it apply to Atzala? So normally, Good Samaritan means you're not, and this goes back to David, what you asked before, um, David F., which is that it's only your obligation to rescue is only if you're a professional. So if you're a professional, let's say a physician, um, takes on a patient, the patient walks into his office, and they have cardiac arrest in the waiting room. So once they're walked over the threshold, the physician is now professional, and the Good Samaritan law doesn't apply anymore. Now it's a contractual obligation. So same thing with EMS. If you call the fire department and they and they do they damage you, of course they're liable. The Good Samaritan law is only applied to non-professionals. But at Sala, is what they told me. They they asked this question. Their attorneys, whoever, that since they're volunteers and there's no compensation, so they're like they, the Good Samaritan law does apply to them. But they're the same held to a higher standard of care. 
could be. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. that's a very good point. Right. So you're saying so they might be held to a higher standard. So again, if we go to a jury, the jury gets to decide if he did something willfully or wantsly negligent. But the good Samaritan laws still protect them because there's no compensation for them. Willful or negligent depends on how much you know. Right. Well, they know more. They know so that's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. So, right. well, they're, they're in a sense they're licensed. That's what he's saying. Could be, my wife knows more about medical stuff than I know. I hope so. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it depends. Yeah. I don't know, but I'm saying again, a regular good Samaritan is not held <coughs> that standard because they're not sure. You know, they don't, if they're not licensed, I don't know. Meaning, if you had, took a CPA course, does that mean I'm held to a higher standard? Or? Well, no. like if, they, if they open, the, if they if they truly believe that doing open heart surgery on the sidewalk is going to save the patient, and they do it, they're still going to be held liable because they should have, in their right mind, known that that was a limitation. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I just saw this week uh, relevant to this question. A sponsor of Moshe Feinstein, we discusses on San Shabbat. Should Atzala, he right, has a lot of responsibility. Should they use non-Jews to drive the ambulance because they don't have to? They don't have to violate Shabbat. Can I have a non-Jewish employee working for Atzala? So he says, no. He says, we don't want to do that. We don't allow that because the response time won't be as quick. The assumption is someone in the community, you know, they're going to they're drive the red lights. And he says, he says they're going to do things which some Gentiles going by playing by the rules is not going to do. So, right? so, meaning, so meaning, like you're saying, they'll, they'll bend the rules a little because they want to save a Jewish life. As opposed to... <laughs> okay, so I do have a question about the halatza. The halatza. Hatzalah. Hatzalah. So, do they are they like on duty different weeks, and therefore they're when they're on duty they're. No, they're on duty 24-7. 24-7. It'd be like I have a beeper and I'm trained. So when my beeper goes off... If you're in the neighborhood, exactly. We'll have 10 guys coming So these people have beepers on? Radios, two-way radios. But it's like... All the time? On their belt at all times. Listen, they could shut it if they want. Yeah, all the time. Even on shots. Why can't we get that Nuru car to, like, pick them up? Because the car drives very slow. Do you see how slow that thing goes? You see how slow it is? Whether you break it a little or a lot, you break no, it. No, right? I'm saying could be better to break a little, but the response time is not. It, it, it's not works, it works like Uber. So you, you you flip it on when you want to work, you turn it off when you. Right, they have okay. listen, they're volunteers. They're they can turn it off. So you know, if I've he's. I've been to the headquarters in Jerusalem. Yeah. Yeah. So it's an amazing organization. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing stuff. So now I want to get to some uh, before we run out of time. Some examples I gave you. Another sheet. This is some. Right. The big yeah. difference in the outcome. Right. Yeah. The response time, obviously, it's about the response time. That's why they even have. Uh, right. They have in Israel. They have scooters because they they can go through traffic. They got motorcycles. Got it. Got it. Right, listen to this. Listen to this. So now I have three. I have a few examples here. What happens when someone asks before? What happens if a person's negligent? Do they have to have the same obligation to rescue? Number one, and then. What about compensation? So, so there's a few cases I put here. One classical case, and this I actually have a friend this happened to, is let's say you're going on an airline, and the woman's pregnant. So, legally speaking, I don't know. If it's actually not a law, and different airlines have different um, criteria. But most airlines will not allow you to fly once you're past, I think, 80, 80 and a half months or eight months. Eight months. You need a you need a, a letter from your doctor. Yes, eight months. Eight months. But it's not a standard. Letter you can fly after eight months, I think. 
Because they, they don't want the liability. Yeah, 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 but they don't. They're not going to know. So many, you know. So it's a problem. You know, Jews. Everyone has a brother-in-law, doctor, uncle. They're following. So they get these letters, and they people flying from Israel or from New York to Israel. They get on the plane, and they're in their ninth month. They just last three kids or last eight kids <coughs> came late. So they're assuming that's not a problem. They're not going to have the baby, and they want to have it in America, not in Israel, whatever the case is. Jewish anchor baby. <laughs> right. No, it's hey, America. So, so I have a friend this happened to. They were on a, they were on a, I think, it, I don't remember, was United, I don't remember the airline. This was 20 years ago. She got on the plane. She was in her ninth month. Um, and then and she went the into labor. B? No, I mean, that's that's the case, but it's not a, this exact case. That's okay. a different case. This lady I put in wore a trench coat to cover her pregnancy. She gets on the plane. She goes into labor. In my, in my friend's case, they actually offered, they said, stewardesses are trained to deliver babies, but the complications. So they said, listen, we can deliver your baby here. They offered him free tickets for his whole family for life, free pass. You can fly the airline free forever, well, you and the whole family, or we'll land in London, Heathrow, but we have to dump the fuel and we're going to bill you for it, which is around $125,000 to dump the fuel because they can't land the full tank right. of fuel. Right. So, so they that's chose. That's not even taking into account the impact on the environment. And this was 20 or years the, ago. The, no. the thing in LA where they dropped the fuel. Yeah, it just they, happened two weeks ago. Right? They dropped the fuel and it was on a school. Yeah. Just because it was, it was too low. It's yeah. most of the time that the fuel mostly dissipates before you. Oh, yeah. Just light a match outside. No, but it's not the point. Not, okay. The point is that okay, it so cost them a lot of money. Fuel and the landing and then taking off again. And then you have all these people on the plane that also get there. They're going to funerals. They're going to weddings. They miss their business meeting. Right. So, so they choose. They chose to land, um, and they actually got a bill. I don't think they ever paid it. I don't know what happened, um, but they did get a they did get a bill in the mail. So the question, is, so that's case number two. Uh, B here it says that most airlines do not. Can't guard against stupid. Yeah, <laughs> the problem is, so the problem is, is the is the airline obligated to rest? Meaning, do we have an obligation to rescue someone who negligently negligently put themselves in the situation? Right, or you have attempted suicide, or I mean, when someone's healthy, let's say, I don't know if that exists really, but um, you have uh, cases or different negligent people who did something negligently. So, first of all, do I have an obligation to rescue? Secondly, who has to pay for that rescue? Okay. Um, Especially when it's premeditated that you had some, sometimes you have a heart attack. You don't know what's coming. If you know you're right. pregnant, you know what's coming. That's what I'm saying, right. It's a matter so of that's when, a, that's a case of negligence. Like but sometimes it'll be, what happens if they're in the eighth month and she's having a premature, the seventh month? So she has the, she goes to labor premature. Premature. Yeah, so Okay, so now, that's one case. Um, the first case, this was a famous case, I don't know if you remember this from a long time ago, it was a famous balloon boy, have you heard of this case? This guy, balloon boy, this guy's still around actually, the father, this guy named Richard Heen, he's very into healing balloons, so he has a company, he creates healing balloons, so he, he had, he, was, he all of a sudden, he says that he had a nine-year-old son, I think he was, um, was helping him make this healing balloon, and it took off with the kid inside. Very good. So they scrambled the uh, helicopters, F-16s, to try to get the balloon down, to shoot it down, it should land, because the kid was up there by himself. Turns out they, they, the balloon landed by itself, and uh, the kid wasn't in it. The kid was hiding in the closet, somewhere in the house. So they, they, At they the end, it. no, and not only that, at the end it turned out the father <coughs> knew the whole thing was a stunt. The, the whole thing oh, was a stunt. Oh, I do remember this. Right, the so father knew the kid was hiding. So they, they built him for a <laughs> 
Right, so that's the question. So, so once it's determined that it was a hoax, the question became how much would he have to pay? So meaning we, he had to pay all the helicopters that would scramble F-16s, it was, you know, 300 uh, cops chasing the balloon. So how does that work? All the news, it was a great news story. Breitling has a watch like that. It's like a $50,000 watch that's got this pin that sends a pink down GPS and it's come rescue you. It's like, it's a $50,000 feature. Yeah, pretty certain. And um, if it's a false alarm, they bill you. If it's a safe, they say, who bills you? Whatever. Rescuers or the? Right, yeah. I think the Coast Guard will bill you if they, if they come in and say, you're a backyard. So, yeah, so obviously all these questions. So what? Do you, so the, the question there is, again, who, if clearly if it's a hoax in a case like that, there's no question. We're saying, halachically speaking, at least, again, if it's the law of the land, whatever that they have, I think many fire departments will bill you for false, false alarms, but only after a certain number. Okay, so we can talk about that. Yeah. In a second. So. It's a boy so, wolf, though, right? I mean, I mean, sometimes your your alarm goes off. You're allowed like, for a year or whatever. Yeah, you're allowed. I think the the fire department or whoever you pay your security no alarm costing, I think you get three a year, and after that you have to pay for any false alarms. Because even if it was a false alarm because of a short, they say, okay, you should get a fix. Yeah, so you get a false alarm. What? They want you to call them and tell them. The watch is only 15000 Yeah. Like our like point out. Yeah. 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 Can I share a little anecdotal story? It's quick. Yeah. Without mentioning names. Please do. Okay. So I was working once in the emergency room. I'm a psychiatrist. And um, we had a patient that was in there that seemed to be pretty fine. His, his the, the wife had called uh, 911 that he was like having a psychotic break. And so he came into the, the ER with the ambulance. And he said, I'm perfectly fine. She's the one that's crazy. And so we'll have to watch him for a while. Yeah, it's like, many so it turned out we were was talking right. to her on the phone. And initially he was she right. was holding it together. But I didn't have much to do that day. So I just, she was chatty. So I just started talking to her. And after about maybe 10, 15 minutes on the phone with her, she started to decompensate. She couldn't hold it together. So we were like, yeah, you know what? Wrong, so we don't don't say any names. I know a few cases. No, no, I know what you're talking about. No. It was in New Jersey. It was in New Jersey. Like kind of exchange. Huh? Like kind of exchange. A prisoner exchange. You come yes. So I said, when you get a home call, 911, they'll bring your wife. And that's what he did. Yeah, so, so, by the way, so, false, so I just want to get to the Allah. So that's a good story. So that's the question. So <coughs> two questions. is One is, as someone mentioned before, do we assume there's consent? Alan, that's the question. Let's say... In normal cases, we're saying you have to compensate, even even if it wasn't negligence, that's for sure. So that's the rush says very clearly. Again, if they have the means, they have to compensate the rescuer, even in a normal case. Except if they don't have the means, so then then uh, obviously then we don't they don't compensate because you are obligated to do it up for the mitzvah. The question becomes, how does it work? Meaning, let's say the person is unconscious. There's does it work because? What's the background? Is it understood that there's implied consent or not? Um, that someone wants me to rescue them. That's the assumption. Okay, so even if they're not saying anything, they're not, they're not hiring you. Um, so there's implied consent. The assumption is people want their lives to be saved, even if they're going to have to damage them. But even if they don't want it, God wants them to be saved. 
Or, right, but, the, but that's or they true. Should fund themselves so you have to save them. The question is, as far as the monetary compensation, they can say, "Listen, I didn't call you. I didn't tell you to save my life, so I don't want to pay you." Because normally in Allah, there's other. The Talmud talks about case. Let's say a lion is chasing a, a flock, someone else's flock of sheep, and you go ahead and you have to cost you money, whatever you expend money, and you scare away the lion. You get your pit bull. You rent the pit bull to scare away the lion. Whatever the case is. So. <laughs> Says the Talmud, you don't have to, the, you, you can't charge the guy. The guy's sheep you saved. He can say, listen, I didn't ask you to do it. You did it, do me a favor. I never hired you, I never asked you to do it. So, but in this case, he says there's, that there's implied consent because for your own life, people, we're for sure the guy is going to usually be hurt, you know, in cases like that, someone's having cardiac arrest. The assumption is the guy is implied consent. So that's why I put in this other case. Look on your paper. What happens if the guy's saying, "I don't want you to call the ambulance"? Like your case, you know, that's number three on the sheet. It says a man starts bleeding profusely. I don't know why the case was in the mikvah. Um, I guess there's other people there. Some of the other people start to panic. He tells them not to worry because this happens to him all the time. You know, whatever it is, he has no noise. He says, "Don't worry, this happens. It's nothing." But no one believes him. They nevertheless, they don't listen. They call the ambulance. By the time the ambulance gets there, the patient has the bleeding under control. There's nothing for the EMT to do. So who should pay for the rescue? So they're saying, listen, I called an ambulance for you. You have to pay. It's a private ambulance company. They're charged, you know, $2,000 for the call, $3,000. Okay, insurance is not going to cover. It was basically a false alarm. But he, and he told them, don't call. This, this is normal. This, I, you know, this is the norm. So in this case, obviously, the, the concept of implied consent shouldn't work because there's no implied consent. He's sitting there screaming, don't rescue me. Right? I but don't need to be rescued. differentiate whether or not he's suicidal. No, we're not talking about suicide. It's no, but I mean, but it's it's relevant here because let's say the, the exactly. guy's saying, don't rescue me because of such and such. If we assume that he's telling us the truth, then anybody that wants to die could just say, oh, just, you Okay, know. so first of all, so again, suicide is a different question. That's a question of, you know, the negligence question. Someone's negligent, but the Allah is, of course, we do save them. But I would think that we can Even apply it here because we can assume that this guy, if we don't have enough time to do like a psychological evaluation, it's a good point. So, so someone, saying? so there is a rabbi who says, like you're saying, he says that since in that normal circumstance it would be normal to call an ambulance, then we don't care. You know, the guy's screaming, no, like you're saying, we don't know. Maybe the guy's uh, psychotic and, yeah. he, and he, he doesn't want to be saved. So we don't, since we don't know if it's a normal circumstance that you call an ambulance, he says the guy still has to pay. So it's interesting. So meaning again, there's two ways to look. One is implied consent. If the guy doesn't say anything, he's unconscious, or you can assume that he wants you to rescue him, even knock down his door, and he's he has to reimburse you. If there's no implied consent, meaning if the guy's screaming, I don't want the ambulance. So there's different opinions. Some say, like you're saying, looking at reasonableness. Right. Exactly. Reasonableness. In this case, should you call an ambulance? Exactly. So. so the case of the false alarm that I put down here with a, a different case. Babysitter was hired for the evening. Here's a beeping sound coming from the carbon monoxide detector. She immediately calls 911. The fire department comes only to tell her that the beeping sound was a low battery warning. So you, you know, the babysitter got all nervous. The fire alarm went off, but it really was low battery warning. So who's liable to pay the fire department that false alarm? Okay. Why not? Hmm? Why not? Because she was being reasonable. I mean, it's like... Is it? I mean, maybe, maybe the parents, the parents should have told them the low battery. battery, right? They should have changed the battery on New Year's, oh, whatever, whatever time of the year it's supposed to Yeah, but the battery, the battery starts to beep when it's low. You don't know that it's going to be low. No, but you're supposed to change your batteries regularly. Don't you know that? Oh, really? It's a certain day. I don't know the year. They it's on the, um, the days of... Uh, um, 
Daylight savings time. Daylight savings time. Okay, daylight switch. Daylight savings time uh, when you switch. You're supposed to change your bed. Check your bed. Twice a year. You smoke alarm batteries. Yeah, you smoke alarm batteries. You should change twice a year on daylight savings Especially time. Especially if you have little kids. Well, they beep when you need to. Well, I know, but that way, that way they don't beep. You're not home, and they're the most pain in the ass thing to change. No, because I'll tell you what happens when they beep. You just run over, rip the battery off, and then yeah. forget about it for the next four months. That's when so most normal. That does happen sometimes. Yes, it does. Sometimes I just rip the whole thing down. Yeah. That's when, that's when you and if burn too, the food. And, they're, and if they're too high for you to get to, you especially do that. Right, that's, uh, you know, the sign in we, our kitchen, we have that sign. Some, dinner is ready when the smoke alarm rings. <laughs> <laughs> but my wife is a very good cook. That's pretty funny. Yeah, she's gone off many times. Yeah, she does. Okay, so now, um, so one second, so getting, so by the way, this, as far as false alarms, by the way, I found a fascinating response. Some uh, this is in the 1600s. He talks about two cases. He says, um, so he discusses there, one case is where someone actually, um, this is a funny case, a guy called a moel to come from a different town. They didn't have a uh, moel to do the circumcision. The moel shows up, gets the highest, and it was a girl. <laughs> Turns out, <laughs> baby was a girl. So do they have to pay for the moel or not? It's a false alarm. But did he know the difference? <laughs> the model, I hope it's not an emergency. Well, he not. Was it like a matter of doesn't give you like doesn't give you the background of how. It's it's not yeah, how did that happen? happen? They should have known. They should have checked. No, 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 it's not an emergency. But the question is, who can't does he have to? Come? Oh, because he's coming from a different place. Oh, cost a lot of money. And they're not doing the circumcision. So went before a judge, and the judge looked against him. Don't be stupid. Okay, so no, was he coming from? This was in the olden days, and he was coming from someplace else. So they called him ahead of time. Yeah, they called him ahead of time. And so oh, I don't know. Oh, maybe that's the point. Oh, yeah, Good point. Maybe they called him ahead of time to say, we're going to have a baby. Right, Come. We, it might be a boy. It might be a boy. So that was reasonable. One thing, it might be a boy or come because I need you. But then no. if he says come in prep, then he needs to give the guy a refund his travel to Yes. Right. May so I have to pay him the oil fee. He right. can't give him tips, but he can at least give him the <laughs> is, that is that a pun? I did that. Yeah. I, 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 I talked to Max Mintz before <laughs> setting him up. It turned out to be my daughter. We all had boys. All but, boys he didn't, but he didn't come. Okay. Yeah, there's no damages. Okay. So one second. So I'm that's one paying. case. So the so the rule in the yeah, so rules in the 1700s. He says, yeah, you have to pay them all for at least, as you're saying, his time, his travel, his travel expenses, and whatever expenditures. Because he could. What if it's a hermaphrodite? You have to. <laughs> yes, because it's a, we don't know. So you chop it off anyway. Just to be safe. But in this instance, so so the life the the you cost that you have to pay yeah. would it be his travel time, but it would also be his loss of income. Yeah, well that's right. But I'm saying, like he's saying, I don't think you have to pay him for the circumcision. He didn't do it. No, 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 not the loss of income for that circumcision. Right. But if he could have another case, right? Because yeah. it took him like like let's say yeah, let's say he missed another one. If it took him five days to get there, five days to get back, so he lost. Was getting that much money for doing the circumcision anyway? You know, in charge, but he lost. Logically, you're not allowed to charge, by the way, and for circumcision, because the mitzvah, you know, and the mole's not allowed to charge. You can charge seven, for his time. Enough. Seven days, or can it be within seven days? No, no. no it has to be on the eighth, eighth day. day. Eighth, eighth day. day. And okay. you can't do it, if you do it before, you got to do a redo. 
Cut some more. What is the eighth day? Even on Shabbat, you can do it? Yes, yes, if it's the eighth day. Only if it's on the eighth day. Yes. If it's not the eighth day, you then. You have to. You're commanded to do it yeah. on the eighth day. Meaning if it's once, it's no. It's, you're well, not, you're doing it more. after the eighth day. Yes. You don't, you don't violate Shabbat. Yeah, you do it on every day. But if it's once the eighth day passed, for whatever reason, you didn't do it, for health reasons, so then you don't violate Shabbat anymore. Even like, uh, like Yom Kippur is considered a Shabbat. It's yeah, like, you, yeah, you do it. You still do it. You can never breast on the summer. Right, exactly. I, I had breast breast was on. Um, you what's the one in the summer? Shabbat. When was the, what's the one in the Tisha Bab? Yeah. Breast 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 was on Tisha Bab. I fed people, but only I have the people up there ate, so it was great. That's the people I eat after they left. There's lots of yeah. So one more case actually I found here, which is uh, he discusses. Um, he discusses a case like this where the guy. There's another case, which is actually false alarm. They two people, they made up to get married, and then uh, one side didn't show up to the wedding. Caterer was hired. This, is, this happens. Yeah. They actually bent away like this. Um, so one side chickens out, gets cold feet under the altar. So do they have to compensate um, for that? So of course, the answer of is course. they well, have to pay the, for all the expenses. It has to be the guy's side that didn't show up because the woman's side is the one given away. No, it depends on the case. Sometimes you split it. Well, one last case, and I'll end with this. So there's another response I found, which is discusses if the, what happens if the guy didn't end up appealing him. So he did the job. He came to the rescue, but he didn't end up appealing him, and there's expenditure. So can he charge him for that? Okay, meaning it's, it was a real case, but uh, the guy, they, they lost the patient, whatever the case is, or they end up appealing him. So again, if you say there's usually this implied consent going with that, so then the assumption is that he has to pay anyway, because he wouldn't want them to try. But if the case where the guy says, I didn't want you to come, so in that case they say, and he didn't end up appealing him, so then you don't have to pay. That's what, that's what they discuss. There's a lot of different fascinating issues. If you're a local rabbi, if you want uh, to uh, come rest